0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time
1: to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We are presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS and part of the 440 Sports Network Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Andrew Allegretta. He is one of the play-by-play voices for Vanderbilt Baseball. He appears on the guest line. That's presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please call Taylor or Russell, that number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our interview with Andrew. Andrew Allegretta joins us. We'll be talking baseball and and maybe 80s and 90s rock bands if we get a little bored. Let's go. uh, As we we both prepare to go to respective concerts tonight, I'm staying in town and seeing Toto and Journey, which was my Christmas present for my wife, and you're going to Memphis. Yes. But uh, we will be following baseball on Thursday night. You'll be in the park. Yes. I will be in another ballpark watching my son with the doubleheader, with earpods in my ears, listening when I can. Did that last week uh, while you were calling a no-hitter. Uh-huh. I was intermittently listening to that and keeping score. And the problem with listening to a game while I'm keeping score is we have no functioning scoreboard. So I've got parents and coaches and people asking me what the score is. Well, so all uh, of
0: a sudden you start to like jot down or add the count of the game that I'm calling – yeah on the scoreboard that you're doing so that's a problem
1: well let's just say that there were a couple times i was a little more focused on what you were saying than than (laughs) what the kids i was following were doing and there was a question or two about did this kid score and there might have been a missed strike out in there i might have been but right but it was a no hitter so well in any case i had to unplug you through all the the good times when i figured out this was a problem um but that brings me to this. What's it like to call a no hitter? And was that your first? Second. Uh, One at
0: Tulane a couple of years ago. Also, okay. a combined no hitter with three pitchers. Um, it was, first off, they're fantastic. I would say there's always a moment in the ball game, even when you're around almost no hitters and almost perfect games. Like, I almost called a perfect game that went to the eighth inning a long time ago between Virginia tech and North Carolina. There's always a moment. And for me, I'll be honest, I did not really click in that. This was a no hitter probably until the fifth or the sixth inning, um, which is a little bit later than I usually notice these things. I usually pick up on it by like third or fourth. um, And I don't necessarily know why. Uh, I think probably because the walk happens early on in that ball game and Kentucky got a couple of runners to second and third, and it wasn't the very obvious dominant performance. Like McElfane was exceedingly good. Don't take anything away from his performance. He was fantastic, but not necessarily to the point where it's Jack lighter, 97 fastball strikeout, 97 fastball strikeout feels overwhelming. Uh, So it took me a minute, but I do think by the time we got to the sixth, I was pretty locked in on it. And then you're also starting to wonder too, because McIlvain's pitch count is going up and how are they going to handle this situation? And then the other part of it, Chris, to be quite frank, is the atmosphere is not what you would want for that moment. Yeah. Like with respect to McIlvain and Christian Little, you want the energy in the ballpark and the, and, and the ballpark totally lacked that energy in part because of the score, uh, in part because the score early, Uh, allowed people to leave the ball game. And with all due respect to Kentucky, they're not having a great season. So their fan base is lukewarm at the moment. So the ballpark uh, lacked some of that perfect game, no hitter mystique, which is unfortunate. Uh, But certainly by the time Christian came into the ball game, it was, okay, let's see if they can get this thing to the finish line. And when that starts to happen, it's it's incredibly fun. It's incredibly fun to me. To me, that's probably the absolute, outside of, I would suppose, calling a championship, the most fun thing to call in baseball.
1: Yeah, we pick up all no-hitters about the same time, although I think for whatever reason, I picked up on this one about the third inning. Uh, I, I don't know why. Just At some point, I felt like this might happen. I, I don't know why I felt that way. Although the odds are always against it. I don't care how good you are. For sure. Uh, you could be Jack Lighter, and somebody could put an excuse me swing Yes. On, on a ball and in your toast. So I think mean, no hitters, there's always an element of luck involved. But as a broadcaster, you know how superstitious baseball people are. Um, and, and I'm one of those people that like I would. Break a mirror juggling black cats while walking under a ladder, and I don't care, but um, <laughs> there they're baseball people who do. And in light of that, how do you handle that situation on air? Uh,
0: So I come up with um, coded phrases, I guess, um, because I'm certainly not going to be the person that says Chris McElfane has a no hitter. And then all of a sudden he gives up a hit. Right. Uh, I'm just not going to be that person. Um, So first off, you never mention the hit statistic, right? Like Kentucky's got no runs here today, uh, but you don't go no runs on no hits. Or if you give Chris McElfane's line, which when he left the ball game and I think they posted it. Uh, on the Vandy Boys account and the recap of the no-hitter, uh, they've got me giving McIlvain's final line as he left the ball game. You'll notice I say he went 104 pitches, seven innings, nine strikeouts, three walks, and no runs here tonight. So I skip the hits intentionally. Wow. And, and then I try to come up with um, a couple of coded phrases that hopefully clue people in, like McIlvain has been clean tonight. I think I said that a number of times. And I think when Christian Little came in, I think I said something to the effect of, "The result seems to be, um, I, I, whatever. It, the, the result seems to be predetermined, but we still have a chance at something special here tonight." That sort of. Stuff. <laughs> uh, this uh, so cracks I, I, me t- up. Yeah, I tap dance around it because I'm not going to be the guy that goes, "He's got a no hitter," and then an excuse me swing dribbles up the middle and it's it's over.
1: Are we sure baseball is not a cult? <laughs> it sure, does
0: feel like it sometimes. Right?
1: It, it kind of does. As I heard you do all the gymnastics and walking through that, uh, that's, that's that's interesting. I say I would I would be the guy that would probably say something to tick everybody off and be blamed. Well, the that,
0: Kentucky announcers, and and I don't I don't say that uh, derogatorily. The, Canu- the Kentucky announcers certainly were trying to jinx them. Um, right, 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 and and I'll, I don't. You know, they're SEC Network Plus, but as we all know, SEC Network Plus is is farmed out at, at home, just like it is here at Vanderbilt. So, you know, Ingram and I do games here at home, whereas Kentucky people do it at Kentucky or Alabama people do it at Alabama, whatever. So they were they were they were trying to nudge that thing in a certain direction. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But from from my vantage point, um, you know, one, I actually kind of learned my lesson and I never I never um I never said it, but I've scaled it back even. Because I can think back to that North Carolina-Virginia Tech perfect game that got into the eighth inning. It it was actually a double no-hitter perfect game. Like one pitcher threw a no-hitter through five, and another pitcher threw a perfect game through about seven and a half. And I was trying to go through the game notes to find the last time North Carolina had had a perfect game. And... You know, I couldn't find it. So in between innings, I wandered out to the SID and and I was like, I'm not saying anything, but I'm just looking for a stat. Can like you point me in that direction? And, And then I went back into the booth and Virginia Tech got a hit. So I think he went seven and a third or seven and two thirds, perfect game. And I was like, son of a gun. So I don't even do that stuff anymore. I just keep my mouth shut. And if I can find the stat, I can find it. If I can't, I can't. Like we'll, we'll tie up loose ends. Afterward, because um, those i mean corbin's been here 20 years man he's he's seen four of them and the one thing he's never had is an individual throw a, a perfect game right i mean come yeah. a hitter and jack's a no hitter and then the combined perfect game was a combined perfect game so i mean he's he's been around a long time these things don't happen so uh, i i mostly i if if baseball's
1: a cult then let it be a cult
0: um on on these things they're just so rare that you just Sit back and just try to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, there are no hitters, and then there are no hitters with an exclamation part. Uh, mark that—that that was a no hitter. That the lighter and rocker ones were exclamation marks oh, with goodness. those. But yeah. but any any no hitter is, is special. And I mean, I think the one thing too, McIlvain got a lot of attention, but there's a lot of pressure on Christian Little to come in in that spot too yes. and not mess it up. Yeah, for sure. And
0: and I've enjoyed listening to Coach Corbin talk about Christian's role and and why what he's doing this year really fits him and where his growth and development is i mean he's he's an aggressive pitcher right and he throws fastballs and he throws fastballs for strikes more often than not and you want that type of guy in that particular situation if you if you come in as a nibbler in a game like that i mean you're going to get you're going to get hit so they picked Christian for a reason. It wasn't just like, oh, let's just go grab Christian. It's like, well, we know, we know what's going on. Uh, and we need somebody aggressive who's going to attack, who can throw fastballs with velocity. Uh, and they, they picked the perfect guy. And, and, and Christian brings the right mentality in that moment.
1: Were you surprised to see Bryce Cunningham get the start Sunday? I guess that's a dumb question after what he did against Florida the weekend before. Uh, but certainly he, he's a kid that like he's in the top ten of SEC ERA stats, which that that's a little weird because he hasn't thrown a lot of innings yet. But it's also been a year where a lot of pitchers aren't shutting teams down on on the weekends. He's been an interesting find for them of late.
0: I don't think it's a dumb question, but to your point, I wasn't necessarily surprised. Um, you know at this point in time the options are narrow they're not bad options right like sometimes we treat the Vandy boys pitching staff or another way to say it the depth of Vanderbilt as less than but for most people it's still more than right Um, yes totally
1: yeah Um,
0: so I wasn't surprised Bryce got the start I think he's earned it I think he is someone that uh, in this moment in time, is a is a really good pitcher for them. Uh, he throws strikes. He's not a strikeout guy necessarily. I think his stuff is still new to people. Like, I think there will be a moment in time in which the scouting report on Bryce Cunningham catches up a little bit, right? Um, and, and people figure out how to attack him just as much as he is learning to attack SEC hitters. Um, but his stuff is really good. I mean, he sits low 90s. He's a contact pitcher and people don't have a good beat on him right now um and, you know and on the flip side if you're corbin and coach brown what's your alternative like nick mal nick maldonado is not ready for that moment um, devin futrell not not that he's not ready he physically is not ready for that moment coming back from his oblique injury um, maldonado you mean or- yeah maldonado excuse okay, me okay yeah yeah Maldonado's not ready for that moment coming back from the injury and then futrell is in a perfect situation right now as the midweek guy uh and that's going to evolve for a few if you're making the postseason right you're gonna need the fourth starter and all of a sudden it's not that he's the midweek guy he's just another one of your rotation guys so there's probably not a huge urge to move him out of that particular spot at the moment um and then after that who's your next starter uh there might be people in that Hunter the, rowan yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Owen or Little. I mean, there's there's guy Grayson Moore got to start. I mean, there's guys in there yeah. that like maybe come starters, but but certainly are not starters at the moment. Um, so it, it's the most logical pick for
1: sure. I feel like we talk about this every week, but I got to keep asking. As good as he's been, I just feel like Little is gonna be in a bigger role by the time postseason gets here, or maybe when postseason gets here, don't you? I think by the time his career's finished, he's going to have a bigger role too. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, he's he's got to. But I just I look at it this year, and he just has been so good when he's pitched. Everybody knows the talent. Like, don't you? If you're going to go down in a regional, don't you want to go down with him starting a game or, or coming in and throwing five, six innings of high leverage? So I, I, I get. I get. They know more than I know, and and maybe there's something I don't know. But that's the one thing I look at and say, uh, at some point. I mean, they've thrown 158 conference innings. He's, th- conference innings. he's thrown 10 of them, and I, I just think he's a better pitcher than that. Now, they know what they're doing, and a lot of times you see Tim do this thing where all of a sudden they hit a regional and, and things start to change quite a bit, but I, I think that's the question everybody has.
0: Well, you would know the context of other guys better than I do in the way that a Kyle Wright developed from – kind of a bullpen arm as a freshman and evolved into obviously what he has become or others. Uh, You would know the context more than I do. I think in regards to this team,
1: this season of the Vandy sports podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible.
0: Where's the elevated role? I'm not saying that he doesn't get an elevated role, but logically speaking, McIlvain is going to continue to fill that Friday role. I think Carter is an interesting case right now because he is still exceedingly talented and has proved himself specifically in my eyes against Tennessee as a guy that can throw in this league in significant situations Uh, But he clearly looks. uh, I think I did the math yesterday or two days ago. He's up to like 50 something innings uh, and maybe 10 starts, 10 or 11 starts. And I think he had 11 starts his senior year of high school. So he's the back end of his senior year of high school load right now. So he's got to find either. I don't know if it's if it's rest, if it's less innings, if it's a different way to pitch, like Carter needs to adjust himself in the next couple of weeks so he can surge well through May and June. And then you've got Cunningham, who looks like he's going to start and Futrell's going to start. And then at the moment, Riley has really found himself as a darn good pitcher as that first guy out of the bullpen to throw four or five rolls. So I'm not minimizing Christian. I'm just saying the way that he's getting used right now kind of feels like where he needs to be used, like it, I I could see him becoming Pat Riley part two, which is still incredibly significant, right? So if, if, if for some reason Carter Halton has a bump and he can only go four innings in part because he just needs to load manage right now, and then Riley's that guy, well, what if Cunningham gets to the point where Carter is now, right? Like Cunningham didn't build his pitch count and innings total until, until later in the season, whereas Carter did it early. So so, what if Cunningham gets to that point, like late May SEC tournament, and now Christian is the first guy to follow Bryce Cunningham on a Sunday, so to speak, or game three, or the first guy to follow Futrell as Futrell's innings get up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So he kind of feels like a really, really significant Pat Riley part two to me at the moment, but his talent level is obviously high, and he continues to mature. Like I. I, I, we talk about that with Christian too, a lot is like the maturity level of he's 17. Now he's 18 and he's still a young kid. Like I, I'm not around the kid 24 seven, but I, I feel like every time I see him in and around the the bullpen and the dugout, it feels like there's someone that is growing up, so to speak, and is respectful and all of those sort of things. He still does. Like, here's a fun fact for you. Um, and someone might want to confirm this, but I would, I would, I was, I was told he got a haircut on the same day of the no hitter. Like, like he went out in Lexington and got a haircut <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then went to the ballpark and helped throw a no hitter. Like that's still kind of like a, a goofy freshman yeah. to do. Uh, but he feels like a very respected and, um, uh, mature young man starting to grow into himself. So I, I think as he does those things, those things will elevate his role in due time because there's a There's a lot of awkward baseball through tournament time to get played. And awkward, I mean, from like a scheduling standpoint, right? You're going to go back to backs or there's going to be a late game and then an early game or whatever. Um, So there's a lot of innings out there for Christian to play a very significant role. Well,
1: here's what I'm getting at because you mentioned Riley and Riley is a starter who doesn't start more or less. Um, Correct. But I was thinking, and what was the score – at the time McIlvain got lifted, it was six, seven, eight, nothing at that point, wasn't it?
0: At least I can look it up as we speak.
1: Yeah, I mean it was somewhere in that ballpark. Here's the point I'm getting at, and and maybe that was a let's see how you handle pressure. This is a different type of pressure. It's a no hitter, and so if you mess it up, we're not going to lose the game probably. I don't know if that's what they were thinking. I, I doubt it. I was just expecting, like with the lead of that much right does does Christian does Christian? because yeah when, because you've got innings to throw the rest of the weekend in. yeah
0: and you're trying to close out um a regional right. right i i hear you uh it was 6 to nothing no it was it was it was 8 to nothing with little came in
1: yeah but point is it's not really you just don't know how the next 2 days are going to go especially with holton being a little uneven Sunday being a question mark, I just kept thinking, like, if you had said after the seventh inning, like, here's what's going to happen next with what you've got the coming days. Kentucky also had held back some of its better pitching, and again, these guys know what they're doing. They're, they're second in the well, country in run prevention. Yeah, I'm just trying yeah. to follow the pattern of thought here.
0: I, I, I think I think it goes back to what I said earlier, like, not to dismiss the train of thought here for you, but I think I think it goes back. Listening to Coach Corbin speak to about who Christian is and what that moment is. Yeah. So it's not it's not about testing Christian in a high leverage but not a super high leverage situation. It's not it's not a, a moment of gamesmanship and what do I have left in the tank and how can I get to a series victory on Saturday and Sunday. It's like, well, we got a no hitter going. We need someone who's going to be aggressive in this moment. In, in part, in part because you're trying to finish a no hitter. In part because the environment doesn't behoove aggression, like the ballpark, whatever. Like, it's just not a a tense moment. Like, you need somebody who brings aggression to the mound with him and doesn't feed off of an environment to create aggression. So I think they went to Christian in part because of just who he is for that moment in time and less about scheming for the future.
1: Yeah. Well, Tim has always been a bird-in-the-hand guy, too um it's that way with regionals every year you know you look up and they've got a, a a pretty lousy four some years and you're thinking okay this is this is the year he doesn't start his ace in that spot uh and, and it wouldn't matter if it was him playing me or you he's going to stick with what he's got there um and it's always worked out for them because the reason sometimes you want to hold your two is you're usually facing the best team that Saturday night game is probably the key one of the regional his thing is always the first game is a key of the regional, and again, I at this point it's kind of hard to question the guy given his winning percentage in NCAA tournaments and how often he gets to Omaha or at least gets to a super regional. But you just look at the pieces they have, and I just I would have I would have thought, um, I guess if it had been me, I, I would have thought, well, let's throw somebody else in that spot. Save little for a a Riley type role later in the week, and then and also I thought yeah, with, we're, with we're not we're not there yet though. right? No, no, you're you're, you're for sure. But uh, and I'll I guess the other thing I, I thought too that for Trell not having a midweek game, I, I thought you might want to get him some innings on Sunday. But I thought it was interesting. You know, they went with went with Maldonado, and like I said, what what they did pretty much worked. Um, you know, and, and Schultz really gets. Um, big marks for what he did on Sunday in a, in a pressure spot. But I guess it just points to, and I said this in another podcast, they just got so many arms. You you can't throw them all. Right. Um, And that's a good thing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We're, we're talking about all of this and I think the thought process is good and figuring it all out is good. But the undercurrent of all of it is, while we don't sit here with a Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter on the roster at the moment, with all due respect to McIlvain, with all due respect to Carter Halton and all of these guys, obviously there's a difference between Kamar and Jack. Point being, despite that the fact that there's not one of those two guys on the roster, there is a ton of pitching talent. So much so that they're top five in team ERA. I think three in conference games. And their fielding is number one. So what we haven't talked about is the genuine issue, uh, the hitting for this team right now. Uh, But it's a great thing that pitching and defense, you feel fairly confident. It might ebb and flow, right? There's going to be games in which the stats don't hold true, but sort of like the generic classic phrase in basketball that defense travels, right? In baseball, pitching and defense are fairly constant. Yeah, Not guaranteed, but they're fairly constant. Hitting is the thing that ebbs and flows. So if we're dealing with a hitting issue at the moment, and they never are going to become – they're not going to be the most dominant offense in their conference. They're still very good. They can find themselves to be very, very good. But the fact that you've got the steadiness of pitching and defense that allows the offense a little bit of leeway to – to figure out the best version of itself is a great thing. Yeah and, yeah, and the fact that it's nine and nine in conference play right now is a little bit frustrating, but I asked Coach Corbin this question on the Commodore hour, actually off the air. It's It's weird to look at the West and the East to me right now, because just looking at the records, you would think that the West is the better conference. And I don't know that that's true. It might be. We'll start to find out, right? We've got series against a and Arkansas, and LSU down the stretch. But Tennessee is so
1: good that they have suppressed everybody else's yeah. records. <laughs> well, and, and I think there's, a, there's also – like if you've played Tennessee to this point, you're at a distinct disadvantage.
0: Yeah. Well, look at everybody in the East that has records that don't make sense to you. Fairly- right is one of them at nine and nine to me, Florida should be better than their six and 12 or whatever they are. And that's because they got swept.
1: Their schedule has been brutal. They played in six NCAA tournament teams in six weekends. If you chose the field today. Yes.
0: And, uh, and I still think South Carolina is, albeit not a great team, a little bit better than their record implies. Well, they got waxed by Tennessee. Like, Tennessee has swept so many teams that everybody in the east feels suppressed yeah uh, so you know it causes heartburn internally at local places like Vanderbilt or Florida or wherever but I think if you stick your head out of the clouds a little bit you can catch your breath and say we're still a pretty darn good team and we had to go through Tennessee which at the moment is what they are and our record is reflective of who we played right your record is what your record is but I still think Vanderbilt's in perfectly good position to have a a good postseason run. I've got no idea if that finishes in Omaha or a national championship, or it gets bounced in a regional. Uh, but I I still think they're talented enough and competitive enough to put themselves in position to win every single game that they play.
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll make this point and I'll move on. I'll still think I still think this. I've been saying it for weeks. Throw the records out. Who are the best teams? Right. I think it's Tennessee then a big drop-off to Arkansas, Vandy, LSU, probably in that order. And you skipped Georgia, by the way. Well, Georgia, Georgia is getting it done um, with John Cannon and Smoke and Mirrors. But that's yeah, another I, that's another I, I, I conversation.
0: so Not to go too far down the rabbit hole in the conference, but there's two stats that I look at, and I think you're well, more well-versed than I am on stats. But there's two stats that I look at that confuse the heck up out of me. Um, the first one is – if you want to talk about Vanderbilt's issues with runner and scoring position, huh, it's cute. Go check out Arkansas's numbers. Yeah. In conference play, they're batting about 220 with runners in scoring position. For context, Vanderbilt is 260. So if you don't like 260, go talk to the folks in Fayetteville. Um, and then, two, Georgia in conference play has like an eight plus ERA as a team.
1: Yeah. I don't understand. And that's with maybe the best pitcher in the conference, although he has missed two starts. Missed couple but, games, and yeah. they've,
0: got, they've got some offensive pieces, and, and I get it. I, I understand the things that they've been able to do to help them get to where they are, but those numbers don't see, seem indicative of two teams um, finishing in the standings where they currently are. Arkansas feels like a better team to me, I guess. Oh, no doubt. Than Georgia. Uh, but... I am so. I mean, I know we're focused on a and m, and this weekend's important. But I am deeply intrigued to see how Vanderbilt fares against Georgia.
1: Switching gears here for a moment, what what do you do with that left field, DH, slash first base, slash whatever, and, and really the seven, eight, nine in the order? Because I'm surprised okay. we haven't seen more of, of Calvin Hewitt, especially the way he defends. I know it's a small sample size, but he's hit every time he's played. I keep thinking he'll be out there more. Uh, Polk has really struck the ball well at times. Uh, Probably had the hardest hit ball of the weekend. Any sense of where this goes? Where do you think it goes? Well, Tim's always been a defense-first guy, and that's what surprises me with Hewitt. I know Vaz isn't bad, but Hewitt's made some – Tremendous plays. And I think Vaz is a better hitter than it's shown, but but Hewitt's just been so good. Man, I, I don't know. I keep thinking I know, and then I don't. I mean, Parker Nolan is hitting. He's always loved Parker. Um, I, I don't know if Parker's your answer at third. Maybe he is at first. I, I don't know. I don't feel like I've ever gone this late into a year on one of their good teams. This is a good team. It's not a great team, but it's a good team, and I don't remember this much lack of clarity and this much flux in a the lineup. Like they might have one, maybe two spots where you see some rotation, but I don't think I remember, I mean, I say even the good teams, I don't know that I remember this much variability on any of his teams this late in the year. So I don't know where it's going to go.
0: I think if you forced coach Corbin to sit here, he also may not know where it's going to go. Um, And that also might be okay. I think as I'm learning coach Corbin, I think I can understand more of his mindset about the fact that it's not just Calvin Hewitt in left field and we've all moved on. Um, Or it's not just Matt Polk in the DH spot and we've all just moved on. Um, There is obviously a desire from Coach Corbin, even with a Christian little type or any one of the younger players, to allow them the space and time to mature for whatever reason, in part because maybe they're not ready, in part because he wants them to have success consistently when they step into that role. So I think I understand more being around Coach Corbin, the rotations. Um, not that I can predict them, but, but you see how he gets to his spots. Um, at the moment, obviously there's a desire to go, not always, right? Because we saw back to back, um, Calvin Hewitt's in left field this past weekend. In fact, was he in left field all three games?
1: Um, maybe no, at sure. some point, nope. I know he started
0: Right. So it went. So Hobby Vaz never played this past Yeah.
1: Year. And, and Laniv started Sunday, Sunday and, and I don't remember who played. started Saturday. Cal did. So, okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so for a while, it was Vaz against the right handers and Cal versus the left handers. So he could match up with those two. And then on Saturday, he went back to back Cal out in left field. So maybe there's a growing trust in what Cal can do defensively plus what Cal can do offensively, uh, which is which is great. Uh, And Javi grew into that role, as I understand it, a season ago. Uh, He wasn't the predominant left fielder at the beginning of the season. And then he certainly was a factor in Omaha. Uh, So there's always sort of some of that. And I know Coach Corbin has talked about that. Um, And Javi might come back around. Uh, I don't know the whole story there. I think Javi is a very valuable person on this particular team as you try to figure out leadership roles, Uh, and you don't necessarily need to be on the field to be a leader. Um, But if you just think about personality makeups and who is going to be the quote-unquote straw that stirs the drink, Javi fits that bill in terms of respect of his teammates um, a vocal personality, etc., maybe more than than others do. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Dom. Dom is more of a quiet guy. And I think Dom carries respect with his actions less than his words. Um, so Javi seems like still a very interesting piece and he might come back around. I don't know where all of this is going to go. I think I've learned at least recently that there is a desire to um, play Jack Bolger as the catcher more. In part because Jack seems to hit better when he's the catcher. And that also gives you the flexibility to put Dom Keegan at first base more consistently, which, at least by my two eyeballs, Dom Keegan is your best defensive first baseman at the moment. Um, Parker, I think, is good, but he had the E3 on Sunday. Um, and then if it's not Parker, then it's, we haven't seen much of Gavin Cassis recently. We have not seen Jonathan Vastein over there very much. Uh, so I think Dom seems to be your best defensive option. In fact, it probably goes Diaz at third, Young at short, Colwick at second, Dom at first as your best defensive rotation in the infield. Um, so you probably stick with that as much as possible, with the exception to give Jack a little bit of a break and allow Dom to get back there behind home plate. Uh, the DH spot feels like a coin flip to me. That could still go a lot of different directions. I think there's, I, I think there's a lot of optimism around Matt poke, and even from the coaching staff too. In fact, Coach Corbin said he's going to be a good one for us on the Commodore Hour back on Monday. But I think where Coach Corbin has always been a little bit more reserved from the fan base is he sees the people for who they are in the moment versus the fan base saying – I see where he finishes or I see where he could go and where he might go. Um, so that that mindfulness on the present, I think, has always served Coach Corbin, I would suspect, fairly well. So that's probably part of the reason why it's not just, oh, here's Matt Polk and just run with it, because um, there would have been a time that we said, oh, it's Gavin Tossus and just yeah. let him run with it. And then it changed um, or we would have written Parker Nolan off because he was struggling or we would have written Jack Bolger off because he was struggling. It Like a month ago, it could have easily been, I don't know what he's doing. Put put Costas at first base because he's hitting. Put Dom Keegan as the catcher because he's hitting. And then leave Jack Bolger in the dust. And then what happens? I mean, Jack Bolger comes around. Um, so that's why that's why I think his mindfulness of who people are in the moment kind of – has carried water and obviously has led him to a tremendous amount of success. All of that is to say, I don't know where this is going, uh, but I understand why still sometimes it's Javi Vaz out there and left, and sometimes it's Cal, and sometimes it's Jack Bolger at the DH position, Keegan's the catcher, and Parker Nolan's at first. You know, you can shake it out however you want, uh, but ultimately they're, they're just going to have to be uh, more consistent, uh, more consistent in the bigger spots offensively. They've got skill. Um, they just need, they just need a few more breakthrough hits. And there's a lot of guys out there that I think can deliver when the moment shows up.
1: Well, Tim has shown a pretty pronounced tendency to to lose some battles. He's not setting out to lose them, but he wants to see what he has yeah. uh, to, to win the war at the end. And sometimes you've got to let guys play through slumps and struggles and and whatever to get there. Um, you know, be be hard for me to legitimately question him. and and that's not what the purpose of the podcast was today. It was just really to to kind of walk through the decisions and and even look at things that you know maybe don't even make sense to us at face value and and try to think about where this goes. But Andrew, I've got to run on to my next thing, but I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I know what a, is a tight window of time for you two. I want to give you just a minute to talk about the anchor podcast and whatever you would like to promote on your way out today.
0: Yeah, as always, anchor podcast. So if you can download and subscribe, make it part of your Vanderbilt uh, podcast rotation. We put out new episodes usually once a week. Plus, you can always find the rebroadcast of the Commodore Hour on there as well. Um, if folks have missed it, uh, we are back out in person at the Commodore Grove. Would love to see folks out there Monday night from six to seven. Uh Coach Corbin is 6 to 6 30. We've only got three shows in person left. Uh, so coming up uh, in person, Commodore Grill, this coming Monday the second, we'll have Quentin Malora Brown out there to talk about his season. On May 9th, we're going to have Jordan Cambridge out there to talk about her season. And then I'm looking forward to this, and certainly guests are subject to change. But at the moment, uh Roe Coleman is slated to join us on Monday, the 16th, at the Commodore Grill. Uh, If people missed the great story that the New York Times did on him with the Nashville Stars, uh, go check it out. And hopefully you can join us in person, 6 to 6.30, Commodore Grill, um, May 2nd, 9th and 16th, our final three shows with Coach Corbin, uh, Quentin Malora Brown, Jordan Cambridge and Bro Coleman.
1: I'll check those out. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today, and I'll catch you in the press box this weekend at Hawkins Field.
0: Yes, sir. Enjoy
1: your journey. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrisley70 at gmail.com.